0: Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director of the Rhode Island Department of Health.
1: And I'm Phil Chan. Welcome, everyone.
0: Dr. Chan, it's good to see you again today. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. How about yourself, Dr. McDonald?
0: I was doing great. You know, I woke up today with some ideas to help protect the people of Rhode Island. And I just, I guess that's like every day, but it's just like I'm I'm excited about public health. I'm excited about everything you get to do in public health. You know, it's one of those things where... I found my passion and purpose in life, and that was public health. And it's fun to exercise at the Rhode Island Department of Health. So I'm just positive and happy every day. So today was like most days. How about you? Everything good today?
1: Things are good. I think similar to you. I'm kind of a late bloomer to public health. Uh, I joined the Department of Health five or six years ago. Absolutely love it. Uh, I love public health, but uh, I didn't know much about it until after my clinical training. Uh, but glad to have found my way to where I am now. So the
0: flu, influenza, you know, Did the flu fly away? So, what happened to the flu? Did it go somewhere? We aren't seeing a lot of flu in Rhode Island, and we're not seeing a lot across the United States, and we're not seeing a lot across the planet. So, we're suffering with SARS CoV 2, the pandemic. It causes everybody pain every day. Dr. Chan, how do you explain that we're not seeing the flu? What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I love this title. And I think what it alludes to was uh, one positive thing about this pandemic. Obviously, there aren't many. Uh, but uh, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, how everything that we've done, I guess unexpectedly, unsurprisingly, looking back, has really affected other infectious diseases. And the one that sort of comes to mind, certainly during the winter season, is influenza, the flu. And I think as the title suggests, uh, really what we've observed here in the United States and in other countries around the world is that we just don't have a lot of flu, which is a good thing. Dr. McDonald, what are your thoughts about that? And was this uh, expected, surprising,
0: it was what I hoped for. In other words, I hoped we weren't going to see flu this year. You know, earlier this year, we saw some interesting things from the Southern Hemisphere. They weren't seeing flu. I was hoping we would see the same. I attributed to things like people being six feet apart, people not gathering as much, everybody wearing masks. You know, the stuff we did to prevent the pandemic works to prevent the flu as well. So I think that's really helpful as well. I want to talk a little bit more, though, about the flu vaccine. Do you think the flu vaccine's had a whole lot of impact this year? What do you think?
1: I think it has had some impact, for sure. I think, you know, one of the striking things is, as we've sent around data uh, looking at the flu uh, here in Rhode Island, and by the way, we do this every year, and normally what we see, right, is as uh, October, November, as winter approaches, we see a pretty significant peak um, of uh, of flu cases. And I think what's been so striking to many of us is that it's really been flat this year. I mean, strikingly flat, uh, which is fantastic. And I think uh, it's been a combination of a whole lot of things. I think the flu vaccine is part of it, but I also think it's due to everything else we're doing. Uh, And uh, certainly as you mentioned, Dr. McDonald, you know, the masking, the physical distancing, the ventilation, everything else we're doing, reducing social gatherings, all of that has led to this incredibly low um flu rate this year which is good
0: you know it's interesting i think about flu and i think one of the things i get questions about a lot is how is the flu different from COVID 19 and i think we should just talk a little bit of that so you know dr chin you get that question too when you people ask you how is the flu different than COVID 19 what do you you tell folks i'd love to share what i say but i want to hear what you say first i always like to learn from other doctors so what do you tell people
1: you know, it's funny. Do you remember this, Dr. McDonald, when the, when the pandemic first started, everything was being referred to as flu-like symptoms. It was like, if you have flu-like symptoms, get tested for COVID. And it's just been one of those interesting storylines to me how now everything is COVID. So it's COVID-like symptoms, uh, which I think is, uh, of course, makes sense and reasonable. But I think it raises just from a in, in thinking about these viruses so I think one thing to keep in mind, uh, for people to keep in mind, is that these viruses are different. They're very different. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, But they are both RNA viruses and uh, there are a lot of similarities. So for example, both these viruses cause similar symptoms. So we're talking about fevers, chills, cough, shortness of breath, uh, trouble breathing, fatigue, sore throat, runny stuffy nose, muscle pain, myalgias, headache. Um, All these things can be caused by both, which is why sometimes it's so difficult. And by the way, not just influenza, flu, and COVID. These things that that I just listed can really be caused by a whole range of respiratory viruses. I think one thing uh, that has been a little bit more of a difference, at least in terms of symptoms, is that COVID-19 can cause more serious illness, um, as we know, especially in older people, um, and it can also cause change in or loss of taste and smell. And that's something that's really been uh, differentiating from, from other viruses.
0: You know, one of the things I think about though is that clinical presentation, and, and I'll, I'll throw it to you this way, like most of us have had the flu at some point in our life, the fever, the body aches, the coughing, the cough is a big part of it, right? And A lot of people say they got run over by a truck, which is interesting because almost nobody I know has gotten run over by a truck, but everybody says that. When I think about how to describe COVID though, it's so different in some ways and so similar in others, but with some people with COVID, they feel like they've got influenza. Other times they feel like they just got a stomach flu, vomiting and diarrhea, and that just isn't fair that this virus was that many symptoms. But it's worse because some people just feel like they have a head cold, um, and this is where COVID was so successful becoming a pandemic, and what's even less fair about COVID, I think, and I'm I'm going to write a complaint to anyone who'll listen, is there's so much spread of the virus before people are even sick. Um, And that's really why the COVID virus was much more successful at causing a pandemic um, than other viruses we know, uh, which is interesting. But one of the things I also get questions about is the incubation period. And I think incubation period, you know, is the time from when someone was exposed to a disease and when they develop symptoms. That's what incubation period means. So, you know, when were you exposed and then how long it take before you get sick? So with With COVID, you know, your incubation period, we say, is two to 14 days. So this is part, again, what's problematic about COVID. In other words, today, you know, I might be, you know, thinking I'm doing pretty good, but if I get exposed to someone two days later, I might make the association that I was around somebody, but it could be any time up to two weeks later. Now, asking me what I was doing 11 days ago or 14 days ago, you know, I don't really pay attention to my life that closely. A lot of people don't. But Dr. Chan, what's the incubation period for flu? How is that different than COVID?
1: Yeah, so for people with COVID, it generally takes them a little bit longer to develop symptoms than if they had the flu. And I think to your point, this is one reason, one of many reasons uh, why COVID has spread a little bit more, because it can be hidden and right subclinical for a longer period of time and, and, and before it shows up. And typically, a person with the flu develops symptoms anywhere from one to four days after infection. And I think, as you mentioned, for COVID-19... Um, a person can develop symptoms up to 14 days after infection. And so uh, that's concerning. And it just gives more time for COVID-19 to potentially spread. I think as you're alluding to, uh, people with COVID can be contagious for a longer period of time, uh, generally a couple of days before they have symptoms and and obviously for the duration of symptoms.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, you know, that one to four day spread of the flu seems like what we're used to, you know, and we kind of can say, oh, I kind of know that. And most of us can have a memory for that. I think that's part of what makes the pandemic just so much more challenging. It, it leads me to another question though. when you think about how the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID spread. So the way the SARS-CoV-2 virus spreads is predominantly through respiratory droplets, a little bit airborne, mostly respiratory droplets. Not as much contact, but it can spread that way. In other words, you can get it by fomite transmission or little viral particles and objects, but the predominant way it spreads is respiratory droplets. In other words, I'm sharing Space within six feet of someone else, where you know, we all have respiratory droplets come out when we talk. Like, if you've ever wondered, how do I know I have respiratory droplets whenever I come out when I talk? So, if you live in New England and not everybody who listens to our podcast lives in New England, but if you live in New England, you go out on a cold February morning, you can see your breath. This morning was one of those mornings, and you say, you know, nice and cold, you know, And, and there you see your breath there. Those are respiratory droplets, and you just can't tell who's got the virus and the respiratory droplets, and who doesn't? So that's part of why you can just see, well, this is how viruses spread, you know? That's why we ask to be six feet away from people and wear a mask. But Dr. Chan, it makes me wonder how flu spreads. So how would you say that flu spreads?
1: Yeah, that was another one of those interesting uh, uh, aspects in the beginning of the pandemic where, you know, Covid was thought to be spread uh, mainly. And it's true, mainly by droplet, only by droplet um, uh, means uh, transmission. And that is very similar to the flu as you alluded to. And I think one thing that's really emerged during this pandemic is the propensity, of SARS-CoV-2, the cause of COVID-19 to be spread by some degree at least of airborne transmission, which is why we've really tried to hammer home the point and the importance of ventilation uh, specifically. And I think that that's one of the key ways uh, to, um, uh, to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. So, you know, I think it, it's it, the science of this is interesting. And again, I did, this is why we need science and why science is so important, but so much attention rightly so has been focused on COVID-19. I mean, it's really been amazing we have like you know you know engineers right and all these other people from all these different scientific backgrounds who are studying different aspects of COVID nineteen. It's really amazing. Uh, it just makes me wonder if we're going to learn some similar things about influenza. I mean, one question you have to ask yourself, Dr. McDonald, right? Is why do we see influenza? Why do we see an influenza? peak uh in winter right what is it about that and what have we done this year um even in rhode island where we sent kids back to school et cetera, you know what is it that we've really done this year that has caused uh influenza really to bottom out in a good way
0: yeah and i think you get to that ventilation issue right like when you think about the flu we always see a peak in in, in rhode island in january right now we just haven't seen any flu really to speak of at all very few cases in rhode island the whole season we're just seeing almost none of it And when you think about it, it's just people get indoors. And I think it gets that whole ventilation question. And I think this really, one of the things I'm taking out of this is that if you can improve your indoor air quality, what I mean by that is try to get your relative humidity to 40 to 60% in your home. And for some people, a good starting point is simply buy a little thermometer that measures humidity. They're very affordable, like $10. And so if you can get one of those, it gives you a starting point. Like I'm in my house right now where the relative humidity is 37%, not too far from the recommended range. But I think if you look at that, it's like, do you have enough air exchange in your home? In other words, do you have proper ventilation? And do you have ventilation at your workspace that's appropriate too? In other words, one of the things you've really seen during the pandemic is people talking about the power and importance of indoor air quality. In other words, make sure the air turns over enough in your space, wherever you are, to make sure that you have appropriate ventilation. It's sort of that old expression we see this in medicine as the solution to pollution is dilution. So if you've got viral particles in the air, the more you move them around, the better likelihood that no one will get ill. And that's an important thing. You know, one of the things I think about too, when I think about the difference between flu and COVID and, and with flu is I think about treatment. So for COVID, we've been talking about treatment, whether it's the monoclonal antibodies we have for all patients that intravenous infusion we've talked about, that's a safe and effective treatment. We've also seen some work with steroids for people in the hospital. We've learned some things about remdesivir. We've learned some things about ventilation management, anticoagulation. There's been a lot of work on treatment with COVID. But what do we do with the flu? Dr. Dr. Chan, you're an infectious disease expert. What do we do to tell people to treat for the flu? What's your advice here?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of it, similar actually to a lot of cases in otherwise healthy people for mild uh, moderate COVID is just supportive care, right? We tell people to get lots of rest, drink plenty of fluids, et cetera. Um, for people uh, that are uh, sick or certainly at risk, you know, there's a couple of classes of drugs, and I, you know, antivirals, there's these neuraminidase inhibitors. People have probably heard of some of them. Tamiflu is probably the most common one, um, et cetera. So they work uh, to some degree. Uh, but none of them, I think, similar to COVID, uh, none of them is a, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, going to cure the cure influenza and uh, et cetera. So um, it was actually interesting. The beginning of the pandemic as well, a lot of people tested out some of these influenza agents, these neuraminidase inhibitors, uh, to see if they actually worked against uh, SARS-CoV-2. And unfortunately, none of them have really panned out uh, to date. Uh, but it was something that people did try. Uh, in the beginning, for sure. The other thing, too, that I've I've always struck me about some of the similarities, um, but mainly the big difference, right? So both COVID-19 and influenza really affect uh, older adults, uh, people who are immunocompromised, have other underlying medical conditions, people who are pregnant. That's why it's certainly critical in these groups uh, to get the flu vaccine during a normal year, and of course, for this year as well. But I think one thing, too, that's pertinent to especially your patient population, Dr. McDonald, is that the flu does tend to affect younger people, younger, especially infants and children um, are at much higher risk uh, with, with with flu. Um, and as we know for COVID-19, uh, younger kids uh, generally don't have bad outcomes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that you've seen in your clinical practice?
0: Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, one of the things that's different about the way you see transmission of disease is kids really do spread the flu very effectively. So one of the things you see is children spread the flu, you know, with, with the SARS-CoV-2, we've seen that more of a different phenomenon where it's more the adults are spreading it. Um, And I think that's interesting. And I, you know, it's funny, you know, one of the things you got me thinking of too, as I go back to treatment in my own mind is like, we have a lot of treatments for SARS-CoV-2 for COVID-19 rapidly. In other words, Oh my goodness, we have, we have a lot of treatments for, for COVID-19, but I've been a doctor over 30 years. Can I tell you something? First 20 years of my career, all we had for flu was Tylenol and best wishes hang in there. You know what I mean? And then we've got some other drugs and, but it it really, we haven't seen an explosion of new drugs for the flu. In other words, there's no monoclonal antibody to treat the flu. And I don't think we're going to see one anytime soon. And, you know, there just hasn't been as much room in treatment, um, not not as much expansion in the research for treatment. So I think that's one of the differences. It it just underscores me how when everybody in the planet worked together, we were able to develop some successful treatments for Covid really relatively quickly, I think. I mean, this is science is moving so fast right now. It's an exciting time uh, to be in medicine, to be sure. But it gets me to another question about contagiousness and about how long people are contagious. So one of the things we know about Covid is people are contagious with Covid. We say for you know ten days. If you have a normal immune system, you're probably contagious for up to ten days. And as long as your symptoms are improving and you're without fever. For seventy-two hours, with you know, without taking antiviral medicine, we say, "Look, you're recovered. You're no longer contagious." You know, if your immune system isn't working, we say it might be up to twenty days. But we have this message, people, that we know how long you're contagious with COVID. But how long are people contagious with the flu, Dr. Chan? What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so a little bit short of a duration. So people with flu tend to be contagious for about one day before they show symptoms. So that's a little bit different with COVID. It's generally two days. Um, And for people with the flu, they appear to be most contagious during the initial three to four days of their illness. And so that's more or less similar-ish to COVID-19, where people with symptoms, of course, in the early phases of COVID, are much more likely to transmit. And then people with flu remain contagious for about seven days. So again, uh, it's a little bit shorter- Um, than what we see with COVID, but uh, but similar in general.
0: Yeah. So another thought I have about understanding the difference between flu and COVID is we really know we're going to get a flu vaccine annually. And, And, you know, there's been talk about someday having a vaccine that we won't get annually for flu, but at least right now, I'm not planning on getting a COVID vaccine every year. I mean, right now it looks like, you know, you get your two shots and we'll wait and see what the future holds. But why do we have to get a flu shot every year? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. This goes back to something we touched on in the beginning, which is that these are different viruses, and I wanna wanna highlight that. But uh, what happens is, and I think this is a this is also another similarity with COVID and and influenza is that uh, influenza started in animals as well. So we believe uh, in general uh, that uh, birds are thought birds uh, are thought to be the main animal reservoir of influenza, and if you look uh, within birds and chickens, right, and lots of different birds. Uh, They tend to have many different forms and subtypes of influenza. Uh, We also know that influenza can infect uh, dogs and horses and pigs, um, ferrets and cats and seals and minks and lots of other animals out there, even whales, apparently. Um, And so what happens is uh, is that there's two things that happen with influenza that we are also seeing with COVID. One is we see uh, minor genetic mutations. And so this is what the whole variant thing about is with COVID-19 is we're seeing minor genetic mutations. This in in the influenza world is known as antigenic drift, meaning that you're having, you have your your, uh, main sequence, right, viral sequence, and you're getting minor genetic mutations that kind of have it drift away from that original sequence. The thing that happens with influenza that's concerning and why we need uh, vaccines uh, more often and why also we see some dramatic shifts from year to year, uh, is that it's a concept known as antigenic shift. And that means what happens is, is that you have different influenza subtypes that essentially share their genes, and they they mix uh, from different species. And so what happens is you have some totally different forms, uh, large sections of the influenza uh, virus uh, that become to infect humans, so, f- so variations of the virus that have never been seen by humans before. So so that does not happen that I'm aware of to date with COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, which is reassuring. But I also wanna I also wanna mention that we know of course that coronavirus can infect many types of mammals. Um, as well. And that's been described. I mean, there's been outbreaks among ferrets, and we know it can affect cats and dogs, and uh, we think it originated in bats and some other animals as well. So I think there is a concern for this antigenic shift, uh, which could make vaccines uh, uh, less effective. And so it's not something we've seen. Uh, There's no evidence to support that. We are seeing antigenic drift, but it's, it's one thing that we're closely watching for and is a concern, which I think is why we need to address some of these issues between uh, looking at some of the way we raise food, for example, and birds, and uh, you know, chickens, pigs, et cetera, and it's also at that intersection of the human population and how um, our, our how we intersect with our with our food industry, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I think you raised some really important points. Like, and it's funny you say this. Like, when I think of just prior to the pandemic, how did I see a pandemic ever happening? I didn't see a coronavirus as being the one who would be the one who would say, yeah, I'm gonna be the one to cause the pandemic. I, I thought it more of as a flu virus, like totally an antigenic shift. And that's really where, what I was expecting was a flu type thing that would be a problem for us. In some ways, I'm almost kind of thankful that it was a coronavirus because we've been able to find some treatments that work so well. And the coronavirus isn't mutating as fast as flu viruses do. Um, they're mutating, to be sure. Let's let's be honest about that. But it's not mutating as rapidly. So I was, you know, I, that is what it is, you know, but it, it kind of brings me to kind of one of my last questions here is what's the future of the flu? And what do you think is the future of COVID-19? Um, so So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting to think about. I mean, you know, similar to you, Dr. McDonald, I was kind of surprised uh, that a coronavirus caused this pandemic. I mean, if I had to guess as well, you know, the flu for sure, Um, you know, we had the 1918 flu uh, where at least 50 million people died. You know, it's thought that a third of the world's population were infected. So we know that influenza can cause this sort of widespread infection. Where do we go from here? I'd be curious about your thoughts as well. I think we still have a a, a bit of a ways to go, I think, with, with COVID. Uh, I like to think we're in the fourth quarter right, of a basketball game, so the last quarter. uh, I think these variants are concerning. Uh, I think now with these vaccines that we have tools really to address the pandemic and frankly tools to address the variants too. I know that the companies, that the vaccines are effective against the majority, large majority of variants. I know that the companies are also working on uh, different uh, variations of the vaccine, updated vaccines to address some of these variants. So I'm optimistic. I think what I take away uh, in terms of addressing the flu moving forward, uh, I take away the fact that everything that we've done has really had an incredible impact on influenza. And, you know, I think the enhances and improvements um, related to ventilation, uh, related to our understanding of masking, our availability of masks and sort of some of the culture shifts there. uh, Hopefully everything we're doing, some of what we're doing at least, will uh, lead to rate greater reductions in not just influenza, but all respiratory viruses in the future, and especially during the winter months. Um, and hopefully it's gonna save millions of lives in the long run.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like one of the things that I just think about in the long run, and I think about one of the things we just need to think about globally is what does pandemic preparedness look like for the planet? And I think it, you've raised a lot of issues like looking how humans interact with livestock and how we do our food industry and how we deal with markets. These are things that we just have to think about. And I think sometimes we have to look at how humans interact with the world and do we contribute to causing these other viral strains. And it, it raises a lot of questions, but I think one of the things I think about with this country is, you know, the United States really wasn't prepared for a pandemic. And what I mean by that is we didn't have adequate personal protective equipment. We didn't have a lot of the things we needed um, to this. I wouldn't say the United States got caught with his pants down. I would say we weren't even wearing pants. We were so unprepared. And that's not a criticism or indictment of any administration, because quite frankly, every administration that runs the country has to make decisions about what they're going to prioritize every year. And I just think it speaks to people didn't see a pandemic as being a threat for 2020. And so therefore, you know, we, we just weren't prepared. But let us you know, agree that it's never good for that to happen again. I think one of the things we have to think about is like, what does pandemic preparedness look like for the future? And I think we've got a lot of lessons we've learned here from the COVID-19 disease. And and, you know, I'm quite thankful this wasn't an airborne disease that wasn't more virulent because this could be a lot worse. Um, But I I think it's important to learn where we're learning and go from there. And and part of what I just always like to end on is a positive note. And we'll go to you for your final word in just a moment here. But I think when you think about the, the pandemic in particular and the flu, there's a fair amount of similarity when it comes to prevention. You know, wearing a mask definitely helps. Being 60 feet apart definitely helps. You know, make sure your hands are clean. This stuff is really important. Not having all these gatherings really helps too, but we do need to get back to a normal life. And we're quite frankly used to the flu. Uh, so I look forward to a normal summer, I really do. But Dr. Chan, it's been great talking to you. What's the final word for today?
1: Thank you, Dr. McDonald. Uh, in closing, I leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of their day. And here it is. A strong person loves, forgives, walks away, let's go, tries again, and perseveres, no matter what life throws at them. Thank you all and be well.
0: So I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. This was Dr. Chan. I want to thank Carol Stone, our technical director, Jose Garcia, our executive producer. This was public health out loud, public health for the public. Have a good and keep up the great.